this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Tim Huang. Tim is the co-founder and CEO of Fiscal Note. CNN says it's the one of the most innovative startups. Business Insider says one of the 25 hottest under the radar startups. He's also he's also been at uh, NBC's Meet the Press as well as among others. Tim's a serial entrepreneur. He's 23 years old. That's right, 23. He received multiple awards, including the Ernest Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Uh, he served as president of the National Youth Association, and he is doing big things today. Tim, welcome. Great, great to be on. Great. Being a serial entrepreneur, define that for the audience. What is a serial entrepreneur to you? Yeah, so I think the entrepreneurial uh, journey is really more about a, a mindset um, and really thinking about um, problem solving from a uh, constant perspective, right? So um, most people think uh, and approach problems when problems are kind of handed to them, you know, whether it might be like a report they have to do or um, some. Uh, something that's been dictated to them. But the thing about entrepreneurs is that everywhere where they go, right, you might be standing in line at a restaurant um, or, you know, you might be uh, frustrated when you're on the phone with, you know, like a certain company, um, whatever the case is, like you see these problems and you instantly think to yourself, hey, like, well, I wonder if I can create a solution for that. Um, and uh, over time, you end up amassing, you know, technical skills, managerial skills, and all these different things that enable you to be able to kind of create better and better solutions at larger and larger scales. And I think that mindset is is really important for that, uh, for defining what an entrepreneur is. Let's go back in time, Tim. Uh, what what was your kind of, you know, you know, your childhood? You know, what was your parents entrepreneurs? Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a pretty um, traditional middle-class neighborhood uh, just in suburban Maryland. Um, my, both my parents worked for the, uh, uh, the federal government. Uh, my father was a uh, biophysics researcher at um, the National Institute of Health. Uh, my mother primarily stayed at home, um, you know, but you know, kind of worked in, in the government, but also in, as a small business owner. So um, it wasn't like any of them had really created um, like massively successful tech companies or anything. It was just a pretty normal household um, but I think my parents instilled in me a very uh, strong appreciation for hard work and problem solving um, and an appreciation for making a big difference in society and so you kind of um, uh, kind of combine these two things where the appreciation for society allows you to be more aware of the problems in society um, and then of course the the work that you put in in school and whatnot gives you the tools and the skills to um, adequately come out with solutions that might be, um, you know, a good fit for those problems. Great. Uh, was you the only child? Did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah. So I had a younger sister, um, and she 
uh, went down a little bit more of a traditional path. She's going, um, you know, doing her PhD um, in medicine and, and whatnot, medical research. But um, so I'm, I'm kind of the black sheep in the family, right? Because I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I uh, going off and starting my own company and whatnot. Where you know, my sister kind of went down the more um, the more story path. Let's talk about that, Tim. Now, what did your parents say when you say, you know, uh, you know, they say, you know, well, what you going to do with your life, son? And you said, well, hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. You know, was your parents supportive? Did they kind of ridicule you? Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, um, uh, I wouldn't say that they were fully supportive. Um, you know, at the time, uh, you know, I started this company when I was a junior um, at, at Princeton, um, and. Uh, uh, you know, they they said stuff like, you know, there's a time to study and then there's a time to, you know, go off and do your own thing. Um, I At the time, I'd actually just uh, been accepted to um, uh, the MBA program at Harvard. Um, and so, uh, you know, particularly my mother was pushing me to think about, okay, well, maybe you should finish grad school before going off and, and trying to do your own thing. Um, uh, but I mean, I, I think there's pluses and minuses to all of it. Uh, for me, it was just, you know, I saw this kind of... Um, it's kind of like a ticking time bomb almost, mm-hmm. uh, because you know you have you see this opportunity in front of you, and it's like how can you not go after the opportunity um, when you know what you want to build and you can kind of clearly see the pathway forward. Exactly, Tim. And sometimes I think a which your experience, people share the same experience, and often they listen to their parents. You know, they they you know they spend maybe six years in college, they get their master's degree, and uh, you know, you know, they 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 see their they see their you know, f- for example, they see your father. You know, hey, well, if I go to college, I'll be just as successful as my dad. You know, but you had a different approach. You know, really, uh, your intuition uh, uh, led you, and, and, it's, and it's very powerful. You know, I guess she was about twenty one or twenty two, uh, as you said. Uh, Con when you was a junior in Princeton, uh, you know, definitely when I was when I was 21, 22, uh, I was discovering myself, but in a uh, different way. But uh, but you know, really, life is nothing more than a journey, and as long as we discover ourselves, uh, I think that's what matters. You know, whether whether we are younger or whether we are uh, older. But you definitely you definitely um, uh, did it uh, when you were younger. So you know, so as a Korean American. Did you live your whole life in the United States, or did you live partially in Korea, and then uh, you lived maybe you know some years in the U.S.? Yeah, so I was born in Michigan, um, and then kind of grew up uh, in the Baltimore, D.C. suburbs uh, my entire life. But I, um, I grew up with a pretty good amount of Korean heritage. Um, there's a pretty large Korean community in the um, uh, the D.C. area that you know my parents are kind of very uh, attuned to and plugged into. Talk about um, kind of once you started. You know, first uh, I believe the first before fiscal note, you had a social enterprise called uh, Operation Fly, and that's where you received the Ernest uh, Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Which is, by the way, if people don't know, that is a very prestigious award to win. So it's not like just anyone can get it. Uh, so definitely, the, the fact that you know you was a recipient of war like that really says a lot about you uh, as an entrepreneur. Let's talk about Operation Fly. What what was the what was the idea? How how did you, how did you come up with the concept to start that? Yeah, so you know at the time I was about thirteen or fourteen years old, so I was finishing up like eighth eighth ninth grade or so, um, and. Um, <clears throat> I, I remember thinking to myself, um, 
I had just come back from a church missions trip um, in Guatemala um, and kind of seen firsthand a lot of the, uh, uh, the state of, of poverty um, and how uh, disengaging that was for the public. Um, and I remember coming back to America um, and uh, really thinking to myself, you know, uh, that a lot of our inner cities kind of faced a lot of very similar challenges with respect to um, hygiene, with respect to education, with respect to, um, you know, work, workplace opportunities and whatnot. So I was trying to think to myself, like, I wonder if there's something that we could do. And so um, I grabbed, you know, a couple of my friends, you know, I was looking, I was living in suburban Maryland at the time, and we would just like, you know, run a series of food drives and stuff and take that food down into the inner city and pass them out. Um, over time, this group actually grew pretty substantially. We were doing, uh, there's some weekends where we bring in, you know, 100, 200 people into the inner city. Um, and uh, I was thinking to myself, hey, we need to kind of organize this a little, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to actually create a, a nonprofit called Operation Fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the basis of this was initially around kind of just, um, pretty commodity services around, you know, giving out food and, and blankets and things like that. But I wanted to make it a little bit more sustainable. So, uh, so, so this was like a five hundred one C four or five hundred one C three. A C three. Okay. Um, and so, in order to make it sustainable, I was trying. I had to create a business, right? I had to create a business that made, you know, that create that generated revenues, um, and then essentially would take all the profits of those revenues and stick it into the social enterprise. And so, um, you know, what is a a 14, 15 year old kid going to come up with, uh, well, the problem that I had seen was around tutoring. And so we built this tutoring company. Um, and, um, if you know anything about kind of like these very, um, broadly speaking, like wealthy metropolitan areas like DC or New York and and LA, um, the tutoring market is very fragmented in the sense that, um, a lot of people are, uh, are overserved in the market. Um, you know, for like a very affluent family um, in the suburbs, they might pay upwards of $100, $150 an hour um, to tutor their kids in like Algebra 1 or something, right? And they go hire some mathematics PhD or something like that. I thought, well, this is this is kind of interesting um, because I feel like I have peers uh, who uh, could actually tutor this kid um, just as well, who probably took the exam like a year or two before, um, and uh, you know, can kind of do it for one fifth of the cost. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page. To click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. Um, we built this tutoring service that um, uh, essentially matched my peers with, uh, uh, you know, parents and charged them about twenty dollars uh, an hour. Um, and then for each of my peers, I would come up to them and say, like, "Hey, how would you like to make, you know, thirteen, fourteen dollars an hour, um, you know, as a tutor?" Uh, and which is a lot better than you know working at like a retail job, which is what most um, high school kids did, you know did for kind of their part time uh, jobs and whatnot. So um, you know kind of scaled this up. Uh, you know at I think at our height we were generating like two three hundred thousand dollars a year um, in in profit that we were funneling into um, 
uh, you know, two programs, Sheets for Streets, which was a program where we would take um, blankets um, and hygiene uh, uh, packages uh-huh. uh, give them to the homeless during, um, you know, the kind of winter months. And then during the fall months and spring months, we would fill backpacks with school supplies um, and give those to uh, children in inner cities and whatnot. So um, kind of a sustainable model for uh, for social enterprise. A lot of social enterprises, I think, unfortunately, um, rely too heavily on grants or on, um, you know, third-party funding sources where if you can create a business that effectively funnels, um, you know, a lot of the financial operations into a social enterprise, then you can actually have it be self-sustaining over time, which is kind of how operations start to grow, uh, you know, just you know, while I was kind of heading that up. What were some initial challenges, maybe some challenges that made you uncertain about the success of Operation Fly? I know a lot of entrepreneurs, they have businesses, and and on one side, they're very excited, they're very passionate, they're like, you know, I can definitely do this, this is what I love to do, but on the other side, there's a lot of uncertainty, and it gives people a lot of worry and doubt. What was that for you? Maybe you can kind of revisit that moment and talk about how you felt. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of it was just around people and around management, um, which is still true today, even when I'm running this tech company. Um, it's finding the right people, um, making sure the right people in the right places, um, you know, making sure that everyone is motivated in the same direction. Um, those are pretty tough challenges. Uh, I don't think the problems are ever really. I mean, there there's some more like tactical problems around like finances and and around like um, the you know actual operations and service, but um, the, they're always going to be people problems that sit on top of those issues. For you, for those of you who don't know, uh, Tim is uh, also served as the president of the National Youth Organ Youth Association, uh, which has a membership of seven hundred and fifty thousand people now did, did this come as a result of the success of operation fly uh, it was a little bit because of operation fly but primarily because of my uh, political engagement so uh, uh, I was pretty heavily involved in politics uh, throughout my years and mm-hmm. uh, you know when I was 16 I was uh, you know working as a field organizer uh, for President Obama back in 2008 uh, you know in Virginia and kind of the mid-atlantic area um, and then you know, at, at the age of 17, um, uh, in 2009, I got elected to uh, the Board of Education uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, which is a fairly large, one of the largest school districts in the country. So we were managing roughly about a uh, uh, $2 billion operating budget, a $4 billion capital budget for 22,000 public teachers. Hmm. Um, and I served there for one term um, and uh, was, you know, obviously really interested in kind of uh, issues pertaining to uh, millennials and to kind of young Americans and, and whatnot, because that was sort of my the focus of a lot of my political activism. Yeah, and really, I think that uh, this this generation is uh, important than ever. It's the biggest workforce, so uh, it's really uh, pertinent that uh, that millennials uh, are working, and also they are 
reaching the finish line in careers. Like a lot, a lot of millennials, uh, they hear stories like yours. They're inspired. Uh, they want to start reaching their finish line. But uh, as we as we talked about before, we'll talk about in a little bit more. Uh, it's, it's, it's these common challenges uh, that they have. But someone as young as like yourself, uh, Tim is 23 years old. Uh, his, uh, his, uh, his, his, his tech startup, Fiscal Note, is one of the most innovative startups, 25 hottest to watch by Business Insider. So uh, he definitely uh, caught on very early. Some people, it takes, uh, it takes them to, uh, you know, to be 45, 50 years old for the light bulb to click on. And, and as, you, as, as we have here, a person as, uh, as 23 years old like Tim, uh, it didn't take him, uh, him long to catch on. Let's talk about Fiscal Note. Because fiscal note uh, is kind of a bit different uh, than your other uh, Operation Fly. Operation Fly was more of a social enterprise, as opposed to this was more of this. This is basically a for-profit business. So, um, what spurred the idea uh, to start uh, fiscal note? Uh, you know, obviously, like I said before, I was involved in politics. Um, you know, working on the the Obama campaign and then you know serving as an elected official. Um, one of the big problems that I had seen when I was in politics was that there's a lot of friction between, uh, you know, different jurisdictions, between different people, um, you know, between different organizations and more broadly between government and business. Um, and so, uh, say that the government is, uh, you know, some, the, the Maryland state legislature is, is proposing a specific, um, you know, tax increase or whatnot. Um, you know, you would have every business in the, in the state lining up because, um, you know, uh, because of some proposal that they had put out there. And so um, when you kind of blow this problem out, um, every industry that you can think of, transportation, financial services, energy, healthcare, real estate, um, oil and gas, well, I mean, whatever the case is, um, like people uh, are very reactive to the way in which government um, comes out with uh, new proposals and legislation and laws. So I thought to myself, how do people actually currently solve this problem? And the way they solve this problem, unfortunately, is they do it through uh, very expensive attorneys, um, you know, K Street lobbyists, um, you know, paying a lot of money for trade associations and whatnot. Um, and I thought, okay, well, this is a dumb problem, right? Because in the 21st century, um, it doesn't make sense that we have asynchronous forms of communication and information, right? It's an age of mobile, it's an age of Google, um, I mean, there's so much information at our fingertips that it doesn't make sense to not have this information from that perspective. So, um, uh, the initial idea for Fiscal Note was to be uh, a global search engine for all of the world's law, right? So, um, you know, if you were interested in online sales tax, like Amazon or Salesforce or Microsoft is, you could just search online sales tax and look up every pending. Um, online sales tax legislation, regulation, pending case, um, you know, across all these different jurisdictions on one singular place. Um, you know, if you're interested in uh, hydraulic fracking, right, um, or renewable energy legislation, you could search all of that in one singular place and, and have it be available for uh, attorneys, government affairs professionals, and compliance professionals. So that's essentially what we built. I mean, we, we, uh, you know, the first initial prototype was essentially looking at, um, you know, the federal government, uh, you know, 50 state governments and a variety of municipal governments and being able to search over uh, all of those laws in one singular place. Want the full episode? You can get it 
among other benefits, when you become a premium radio subscriber. Go to patreon.com forward slash Callen. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash K-A-L-L-E-N. When you go to patreon.com forward slash Callen, choose one of the premium subscription levels for it's just another tool to help you reach your finish line. Now, when you thought of fiscal note, did you have some doubters? Did they say, ah, you know, Tim, this is not going to work. Uh, you know, you know, politics, you know, really you have to be a politician to make money in politics. You know, did you have some rejection about this idea? Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, our space is pretty, pretty heated. Um, there are incumbent technology. I want to say technology. There are incumbent companies um, that have pretty substantial uh, um uh, resources at their disposal. So, um, you know, companies like Thomson Reuters, Bloomberg, um, you know, LexisNexis, um, you know, these companies have upwards of 30, 40, 50,000 people and, um, you know, tens of billions of dollars in budgets to be able to kind of blow competition out of the water. So, uh, it's not unreasonable to say, you know, like, what are you, um, you know, a punk 21 year old kid with, even you know a couple million dollars in venture capital going to do um, to try and disrupt this massive industry, um, and that and that's totally fair. I mean, it's a fair argument, and that's something that that we've thought about. But um, it hasn't stopped us from at least trying to kind of go after the market with you know better technology, better services, and, and a better culture um, that you know, we're running within our organization. And I and I think that's what plays an integral part in the spirit of an entrepreneur is that. You have to have the, you have to have the faith, you know, uh, faith among confidence. But you know, more importantly, you have to have faith to know that you know your your business, your idea, uh, is going to come to fruition. And you have to have unshakable faith in a sense that no matter how many people, like 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 they said to you, with, you know, you 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 know, punk kid, twenty one years old, you know, who raised who raised a few million dollars, think they could break into this industry. You have to have that unshakable faith uh, to 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 persevere uh, if you expect uh, to reach the finish line, and uh, that's something you have with yours. What what are some things, Tim? Uh, what are some things that Tim does? to strengthen himself, his, his faith, his, his confidence, his resolve. Yeah. Um, I think the, the resolve comes from having great people surrounding you, um, having a great team and a great culture. Um, uh, again, going back to my you know, earlier points around, you know, ha having everything be around about people, um, is really, really important. So, um, in the early days, that means that, you know, uh, before you even start your company, right, having the right co-founders, um, you know, I, I was lucky to have two co-founders where I'd actually known since high school. Um, and so, uh, you know, we had great working relationship. We were, you know, pretty good friends. Um, and, and they give you a lot of the, that resolve. Um, I know that a lot of older founders uh, really draw upon the strength of their, uh, their partners or their spouses. Um, Obviously, as you grow the company and you get early employees and um, you know executives and middle managers and uh, board members and investors, uh, building that network of people 
uh, something that that is really important as you kind of scale the company upwards. Were you totally confident that your two co-founders were going to be great partners? Because there's people, Tim, that they want to start a business with a friend or with a relative, but you know they like them and they're good people and they have good attributes. But at the same time, they have some some concerns in that in the long term it may not be good to work together. How, you know, what is your criteria, Tim, into deciding, or perhaps what, what will be some advice that you will offer to discern whether it would truly be a good fit to take on uh, a, a good friend or a relative as a partner? Uh, I mean, I think the number one reason why startups fail um, is because they don't find the right business partner. Um, and... Uh, I, I've seen countless stories of different things, um, you know, playing out. Like, you know, people having different values with respect to how they want to run the company. Um, people, you know, uh, not understanding decision-making authority. Um, you know, people not understanding um, uh, uh, like specific roles that that each of them plays. Um, uh, so, uh, the thing is, though these problems don't really go away once you get bigger. Um, you know, it actually make it, it exact, it actually exacerbates the problem. Um, if you have you know, three or four co-founders that never, uh, you know, agreed and they kind of fumbled the, their way into success. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very different game when you have, you know, a hundred or 500 employees or, you know, 5,000 employees, um, and their senior leadership can't agree on specific issues and stuff. Um, so, if you can't resolve the issues up front with the business partners and whatnot, like you're you're almost destined to fail um, uh, from the very beginning of the company. Um, you know, with respect to like specific attributes, I mean, I think it's important to be honest and transparent with everyone. Um, and you want to obviously find people that are honest, and you always want to find people that are capable. Um, uh, you know, like you're gonna. Obviously, you're going to fight with your co-founders. You're going to fight with your business partners. But um, to be able to have a good working relationship and and um, to actually be able to uh, come back from it and have a very um, uh, outright and forthright conversation, I think is uh, is really really important. If you're just tuning in, we have here Tim Hawang. Tim Hawang is the co-founder and CEO of Fiscal Note. Uh, uh, CNN has called it one of the most innovative startups, and it's been called one of the 25 hottest startups to watch by Business Insider. Uh, we were just talking to Tim about uh, his journey with the social enterprise Operation Fly and how it has led up to now of him being the co-founder and CEO of Fiscal Note, uh, a tech, uh, political tech startup. And we were just talking about you know, what will be, uh, you know, what will be saying some good suggestions, or some good tips to kind of find uh, maybe appropriate uh, partners, especially when people are considering a relative or considering a friend. Um, I think I think another thing that's important, or probably probably one of the most important things, uh, is funding, and uh, you have successfully raised a total of eighteen point. Three million dollars in funding from prominent investors, including Mark Cuban, uh, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, as well as uh, one of the Shark Tank judges. Uh, what what has been some 
insights that you have learned because you know you know people always people always want to say oh well what's the secrets you know for like i think is i think people can get more value out knowing some of the insights that you've extracted from uh from 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 raising venture capital um what has been some of the mistakes that you have made maybe you can share that with the audience and perhaps some tips that they can use so they can have a successful round yeah um so I mean I think uh, you know you depending on on the the type of company you want to build the first thing is you want to define what type of company you want to build right um, and if you're building a uh, there's nothing wrong with building like a small business or like a lifestyle business but if you're going to build a lifestyle business which is you know um, defined primarily the the differentiation is defined primarily by the the rate of growth um, uh, you need to define the types of capital that you want to go after, right? So venture capital is certainly one type of capital. Um, another type of capital is, you know, getting you know loans from your uh, from your bank. Uh, another type of capital might be, uh, you know, thinking about you know family and friends with respect to uh, you know pooling together some investment. Um, so that's the first type of thing is you have to define what type of company you want to build. Um, the second thing is realizing that venture capital in and of itself comes with a lot of downside um, that a lot of people don't realize. Um, number one is, you know, once you, the, the moment you take venture capital, the moment, you know, the, they wire you, you the money, um, uh, the race is really on. Like, you know, you are, you are financially obligated to return multiples of that money within a very short amount of time. Uh, Tim, if people want to uh, follow you, uh, how would they do that? Yeah, they can uh, you know tweet at me at uh, Tim T Huang H W A N G. Um, they can email me at timfiscal.com um, or visit our website fiscal.com to learn more. Tim, thank you for being our guest. Great, great to be on. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist, as seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reaching the finish line.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.